Welcome to the Revival Center Podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and thoughts from our church. We hope you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. plan, but we must be open to God correcting our course just in case we miss it a little bit. So it's okay for you to pray about what you're going to do the next year or have a five-year plan or a goal or whatever the case is, but you need to be open for God to maneuvering it a little bit. Let me give you an example by saying this right here. Maybe you have a goal to lose some weight. Have you ever had a goal to lose some weight? A couple of you guys. Some of y'all said, amen, brother. Yes, I do. Supernatural weight loss tonight. <laughs> so you have a plan. I'm going to lose some weight. So you develop a schedule to begin to lose that weight. A plan that outlines how you're going to get from A to B. But how many of you know that as you begin to act or do the vision of losing weight, you will have a roadblock called cookies, cake, and ice cream. You have every intention in the world. And then somebody bakes cookies at your office and you don't want to turn them down, all right? Uh-huh. So attacks along the way. And you'll either stick to that plan or you'll resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Or you will go off course and never complete what you set out to do. You see, I believe that God has always had a plan for your life. I believe he's always had a plan in general. Whether you're talking about the cross dealing with sin, a plan for the church, our church called Possess and Occupy the Land, or a plan for 2021 for your life, God has always had a plan. And on the road to completing that plan are those trials, are those attacks that can become so fierce that it causes you to question the plan that you were so confident that you uh, set out on. You can say, yes, God has called me to do this. Yes, God has has put this in my heart to go down this road. But when you begin to encounter the headwinds, it can be so strong that you begin to question that very plan. Has anyone ever been a victim of this right here? What's going to happen next, Lord? Have you ever been a victim of that? If it's not one thing, it's another. Mm -hmm. Yes, so this victim of what's going to happen next. But the only reason it feels that away, listen to me now, I'm going to drop something right here. The only reason you feel that way, what's going to happen next, Lord, is because I don't know what's going to happen next. That's why I feel that away. Mm -hmm. And because I do not know what's going to happen next, I do draw some confidence that God does know what's going to happen next. All right? So I may not know, but I know the one who does know. And so that helps me and gives me some confidence. Life is not in the hands of some wild man up in heaven pushing random buttons to see how much pain he can cause your life or how much trouble you can take. I am not being tortured by some demonic influence just for the fun of it. Mm -hmm. Angels are not up in heaven taking bets on when you're going to throw in the towel. Are you listening to me? So it makes me feel good to know that even when the enemy uh, does attack me, he cannot 
attack me without the permission of God. That God is still in control and that God still has a plan. A couple of scriptures for you. Jeremiah 29 verse number 11. Very familiar. But for I know the thoughts that I have towards you says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan over your life. Uh, Genesis chapter 50 verse number 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God, you meant evil But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people's lives. So I want you to see tonight that it doesn't matter what other people may even have planned against you. The plans that are ultimately going to be fulfilled in a believer's life that is submitted to God is God's plans. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen, understand me. God is not planning on trying to kill me, all right? Daddy is not into killing his children. Come on, somebody. All right, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13, this is a very uh, uh, well-known scripture. No temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. God is faithful. He is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, a plan has already been made for your escape. Praise the Lord for that. God does not have to figure out how to get you out whenever you feel the attacks on your life. So the question is, is where is your escape? Where is the solution? Because God has a plan, a plan to get your life back on track. That's what I love about God. It doesn't matter what we bring him because usually we come to God in a mess. Usually we come to God in a mess. That's usually how it happens. We try to fix something on our own. It doesn't work out. We, we, something happens and we say, God, I can't do it no more. So we come to God in a mess. And he can take that mess and turn it all back around and set you back on your feet to such a degree that if you give it enough time, nobody will ever know what all you went through. Oh, I love him. I love him. I'm, so here it is. So Jay, Pastor Jason, if God has a plan, then why am I going through this particular trial? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you five reasons why believers sometimes suffer. Now, my focus, what I'm really preaching is point number five. The other points, I'm just going to tell you to get to point number five, and then we'll hang out there. Is that okay? All right. So here's the first point um, that I want to give you. Real quick, I'm going to go through these pretty fast. Believers experience suffering as an ongoing consequence of the fall of Adam and Eve. Everybody in this room is going to fit in one of these five points, okay? So when sin entered the world, pain, sorrow, conflict, and eventually death invaded the lives of all human beings as a consequence of the fall. So some of our sufferings that we're dealing with is simply because you're human. All right, Romans chapter 5, verse number 12 affirms this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, And death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. So sin has an effect on people, on you and on the people around you. Number two, second point, next slide. The second reason why believers suffer is some believers suffer for the same reason that unbelievers do as a consequence of their own actions. Got one amen in here. Come on, believers. Yes, I'm here to tell you that you will reap what you sow too. All right, Galatians 6, 7. A man reaps what he sows. So, here it is. If we are late repeatedly for your job, mm -hmm, you will reap what you have been sowing and you will be fired. But you believe in Jesus. I don't care. You need to buy a watch. 
Mm -hmm. are, you, are, you, are you tracking with me? Uh-huh. If you are speeding, you will get a ticket. But you're a believer. I don't care. Slow down. Oh, I got some stories there. Y'all got some stories too, though, don't you? All right. I, I'm, I, don't want to give, I don't want to give myself away too much. All right. So if we are undisciplined in any area of our life, it will come back on us. Did you hear what I just said? If we are undisciplined in any area of our life, it will come back to us. Therefore, God may use a $150 speeding ticket as a means of discipline in our lives. You just suffered because you just sped. So we must always act in wisdom and with accord to God's word because there are no shortcuts when it comes to God. All right, number three. I'm moving fast. I told you my main point is number five. So this suffering may be in a different sense, in a different sense like this. We may suffer in our inner selves because we live in a sinful and corrupt world, okay? What do I mean by that? If you are a believer and you, you know, you're working in an in a environment that um, is not surrounded by believers, and let's say you know, people are using foul language, they're doing all this and that and the other, there's going to be a part of you that grieves when you're in that environment, but you got to go because that's where you work, and you need to be a light and salt. You, you track what I'm saying? All right, so, so I'll give you an example. Second Peter chapter two, verse number eight is what I'm talking about here. For that righteous man dwelling among them. Now, in context, this is talking about Lot. Lot was living where? Come on, Bible scholars. Where was Lot living? Sodom and Gomorrah. All right. Notice what Peter says about him. Calls him a righteous man. But anyways, dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, I love this King James word, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. In other words, as Lot went about his daily life, daily life in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he saw all that trash going on around him, he didn't say, well, it's okay. You know, it's just the times that we're living in, just the culture here in town. You know, you'll get used to it. He never got used to it. He never got used to it. It vexed him day by day, every single day. There was an inner struggle inside of him because he was saying to himself, this is not right. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right. So remember also that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. Do you remember that? So he, there, was a, there was a suffering in his inner man. And we will often weep in our spiritual, uh, over our spiritual lost loved ones. And this causes us a level of suffering. Let me keep going. Number four, believers can suffer at the hands of the enemy. And what I mean by that is a spiritual warfare. That's what I mean. So don't get that twisted right there. But spiritual warfare. We must understand that Satan is the little g, little g God of this world that controls the present evil world. Okay. I'll give you a couple of scriptures. First John chapter 5 verse number 19. We know that uh, we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. It's a, it's a corrupt world out there. The Babylonian system. I don't got time. He has been given a measure of power. Talking about the enemy. To inflict 
us in a variety of ways. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking or seeking for someone to devour. The story of Job, when you read that story, centers around an upright, God-fearing man whom God permitted to be tortured by Satan with unspeakable sufferings, which, which causes us to ask the age-old question, why do the righteous suffer? Are you tracking with me? In Luke chapter 13, verse number 11, I want you to notice what Jesus says about this woman. Uh, and he and behold, there was a woman who had, look what it says, a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. Isn't that interesting language that Jesus did not refer to this as this person just has a, a, a bad back? He actually identified a spirit of infirmity that was attached to this woman, which means it was spiritual warfare. Are, are y'all with me tonight? All right. So you see Satan and his followers delight to persecute believers. However, we know that we are not in this fight naked, and we have been given armor and spiritual weapons. If you go back and you read Ephesians 6, we have the belt of truth, the blessed, blessed, uh, breastplate of righteousness, Feet fitted with the gospel of peace, a shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. But even then, after you put all of that on, you still must stand your ground and fight back. And remind yourself that the battle has already been won. Now we make our way to my fifth point, And this is where we're going to take the rest of the service. Number five, the fifth reason why believers suffer is this right here. I'm going to take my time. God himself may use suffering in our life as a catalyst for spiritual growth or change which can further the cause of the kingdom of God. Okay, I'm going to let that sink in because I'm about to preach this right here. He may use suffering in our life as a catalyst that propels us into our future. Now, I could give you so many personal examples. I'm going to give you mainly biblical ex examples tonight. But just very quickly, I want to, I want to give you one. From this church, my experience here. Whenever I came here in January of 2004, I came as the uh, youth pastor and as the kids pastor. Through a series of events that took place here in October of 2005, um, it, it, it began to set off a very hard season for the church and, and for me personally, for everybody else too. So it was all of us, but, but me personally. And, um, and then in June of 2006, I actually went to the board um, because the pastor who was here at the time resigned. And, and typically speaking, when the pastor resigns, a lot of times the staff, there'll be a turnover. So I went on in there and I, you know, get out in front and I've turned in my uh, resignation as well because of some of the things that had taken place and everything. I was like, you know what, I'm done, you know. The Lord has released me. And so I was going to go be a, listen to me, I was going to go be a youth pastor somewhere else. Watch now. Because I enjoyed being a youth pastor at the time. I was 25, 26 years old, and I was like, finally, people don't think I'm a teenager no more. That's what I was saying. Because every time I'd go to youth camp, I'd get in trouble as if I was a teenager. Come on, somebody. <laughs> if I shaved, I'd look young. Trust me. Well, except for my bald head. Anyways, anyways. My bald head gives it away, all right? But he, so, yeah, I would go to youth camp. I'm 20 years old, 21. There's like, uh, sir, you can't, or they ain't coming, sir. There's like, hey, you can't come over here. I'm like, I'm the youth pastor here. You, you know what I mean? Anyways, so I was like, finally, I've arrived, and they don't think I'm a kid no more. I want to be a youth pastor. And then the board came back and said, um, listen, uh, Jason, uh, would you consider being the interim pastor until we find a pastor? I said, well, 
I don't think I can mess it up anymore. You know what I mean? So, I'll, you know, I'll, let me pray about it. Okay. Hey, I want to be a pastor one day, you know, so, yeah, sure. I was thinking three months, you know, two months, you know, something like that. Ten months later, come on, somebody, ten months later, and so now i got a real thing i got to pray about. Is it time for me to make that jump from youth ministry to adult ministry? And listen to me, if we had not went through a vexing time, I would have never done that on my own. Are you trying, that's what I'm trying to preach with this fifth point. God will use hard seasons in your life at times as a catalyst to, to, to put you, to open up a door that you never would have walked through on your own. Okay, are, are y'all with me, okay? All right, so it is at this point that I'm going to lay a little bit deeper uh, 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 teaching here. Let us first make perfectly clear that Christ never tried to hide the fact that there would be a cost to following him. If you are following Jesus tonight and you go through a rough patch and all of a sudden you're floored by that rough patch, then somebody else lied to you that told you something that was not true, which was if you serve God, you'll never go through any hard problems. That is not true. Jesus himself didn't teach that. He even asked the disciples, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you sure you still want to follow me? Because whenever I get done with what's fixing to happen, you are going to drink from this same cup. Are you sure you want to do this? This is how he talked to his followers. Luke chapter 14, verse number 27. This is how he talks. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Mm. He speaks of the cross. He speaks of death. He speaks of suffering suffering and torment right here. The cross represents shame. It represents humility. It represents pain. They knew what the cross was living 2,000 years ago. And in different seasons, yes, I'm here to tell you that you will have to carry a cross. I have a cross to carry. You have a cross to carry. We all have something that we have to, call, uh, that we have to carry. Jesus' altar calls was not this right here. Okay, read the Bible. It was not this right here. Twelve ways to prosper. His altar calls, does anybody, is anybody ready to die? Come follow me. In fact, his sermons at times were so hard, there's a spot where he said, if you're not willing to drink my blood and eat my flesh, you cannot follow me. And the Bible literally says that a multitude of people turned around and walked away. And then he turned to his 12 disciples and said, y'all want to go too? He wasn't trying to snooker nobody into keeping them to follow him. He was freely saying, if you follow me, you're going to carry a cross and it's going to be difficult. Do you still want to do it? Does that not fire you up right there, man? So he said, come follow me and carry the cross. In fact, later his disciples tell us that when you are persecuted for Jesus, count it a pure Joy, that's right. Being a Christ follower is not for the weak-hearted. The cross is not a glamorous piece of jewelry that people wear around their neck. No, this is where people met their 
death. Anyone seen carrying a cross 2,000 years ago, they knew that was a dead man walking. And once they picked up their cross, there was no turning back. You better hear me. The, 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 the fact that you had picked up the cross means all of your appeals to the higher court was no more. It was a done deal. And Christ does not hide this fact when asking us to follow him. Jesus does not put the promise before the process to receiving the promise. My goodness. It is the cross that he talks about first before the promises of healing, the Holy Spirit, and the supernatural power. He says before you get all that, the first thing you have to do is pick up your death instrument called the cross. He gives us that. For if you can take up the cross, then the crown will take care of itself. Romans 8, 17. He says it like this. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, then we may be glorified together. I hope you're eating good tonight. Come on, I'm in the scriptures. Suffering is the prelude to glory. Oftentimes you go through a time of trouble before the glory appears. Our suffering as believers is the assurance that the glory is yet to come. Through the history of the Bible, before greatness, there was great suffering. Can I prove it to you? Here we go. Next slide. Think about Joseph for a second. You got to read your Bible to know how I'm preaching tonight. Before jo Joseph was the second in command, he had to go through being betrayed. Watch now. Being sold into slavery. Being lied upon multiple times. Thrown into jail. But through the great suffering, it put him in a position to save the very ones who tried to destroy his life. That is powerful. Next slide. Moses. Before Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, think about it. Before he did all that, before we knew Moses as Moses, uh huh. before Moses spoke to the burning bush, before Moses saw the backside of God, before his, lit, his face lit up from the glory of God, he stood beside the corpse of an Egypt, Egyptian show, a soldier when he, who he had just killed and ran away as someone running from justice because he was a murderer. Moses. It was only after that suffering did Moses talk face to face with God. Next slide. Before Samson pushed down the Philistines' temple and killed more in one day than while he lived, he sat in the lap of a wicked Delilah and told her all of his secrets. Come on, you read your Bible. He suffered the humiliation of losing his hair and his eyes and then paraded him around the Philistines as people mocked him and made fun of him. Just humiliated. Before his greatest hour, he suffered his greatest pain. Isaiah chapter 6. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah died in Isaiah chapter 6. That he saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exhausted, exalted, and his train. Of his robe filled the temple. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that we hear the angels crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It is in this suffering that we are able to get a glimpse inside of heaven. I don't know necessarily why God uses pain the way he uses it, except that pain often will humble us like nothing else. 
Mm, it is pain that will say, you know what? I can't do anything else. Let me just fall right here on the altar. Ezekiel 37. Before Ezekiel prophesied these bones to come to life. And it stood up on his feet as a vast army. It was nothing more than a valley of dry bones. Bones left in a valley. Which may make us think that others have already come through this same valley. But did not make it out. Mm, other people have went through this same season and they didn't make it out. I wonder if I'm going to survive this season. Others have suffered the same as we, but we are unable to overcome it. Do not be mistaken. Every bone in that valley of Ezekiel 37, after he got done prophesying, every single bone stood up to attention. My goodness. Suffering is the prelude to glory. Daniel chapter 3, verse number 17. We read of the three Hebrew boys that as they stand facing a blazing furnace fire, they make one of the most powerful statements of faith in the Bible. Here it is. This is, this is the most powerful statement of faith ever. If that is the case, this is when King Nebi said, if you don't bow down and worship me, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. That's what he said. And they said, if, uh, and if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Verse number 18. See, it's a statement of faith. This is how my faith is. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. That, my friend, is a statement of faith. It is saying that God can absolutely do whatever he wants to do. He can heal. He can deliver. He can set free. He can do whatever he wants to do. But if he does none of it, I'm still going to serve him. If he does none of it, I'm still going to serve him. If he never answers another prayer that I have, if if not another miracle ever take place, if everything in my life is bad, bad, and worse, I don't care. I'm still not going to bow down to the God of this world. I'm still going to worship him, serve him. That's faith, friend. That is faith right there. Now let me keep going. So let us tonight have that kind of boldness in the face of our trial. Whatever your trial is. Now I want you to notice that when you read that story on out, the fourth person did not show up until after they got into the fire. If you want to see the miracles of God, sometimes you're going to find yourself in a fiery furnace. But we live our life in such a way that if we get too close to a fiery furnace, we turn and go the other way. Do you understand that a life of miracles, signs, and wonders is a life of faith, friend? It's a life of faith. That means you're going to face things that make no sense whatsoever. And you're going to have to step out and say, God can do it or not. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right. All right. So, so, it, so the book says that when the enemy comes, we've already read it, then like a, like, like a flood that Christ will rise up a standard against him. So when the enemy comes, boom, 
That's when the, the Holy Spirit raises up that, that, that standard. Suffering is the prelude to glory. It was Peter who denied Jesus three times only to get filled with the Holy Spirit and led 3,000 people to the Lord in the book of Acts chapter 2. It was Saul who helped catch and imprison Christians in the New Testament only to have his name changed to Paul and write 13 epistles in the scriptures. As soon as Jesus was baptized into the Jordan, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted. Are you catching what I'm trying to say tonight? My faith, your faith, our faith has been tested to make us mature, complete, and not lacking anything. If you run or quit in every trial that you go through, then you're never going to learn what you need to learn in that season so you can go on past that season. And you know what? The situation still may not be fixed, but your faith has risen to such a degree that you still got peace. You still have your joy. You get good night's sleep. Come on, somebody. Still a storm and, and it's all hell is going on around you, but it ain't inside of me no more. I'm trying to help you. And in this season that you may be in, we cannot draw strength from the fact, we can, we can draw strength from the fact that God still has a plan. Even in the midst of trials and tribulation, there is a process, there is a cross, a grave, and then resurrection. And it is in the process where the devil will attack you the most. Oh, in the middle during a transition, when, when, you're, when you're transitioning, it, it is in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus began to question, man, is this going to be worth it? So what do you do when you, when you are in process, when you're going through the plan of God? Listen to me now. And it begins to pile up over you. And you begin to say, my goodness, Lord, if this cup can pass, please let it pass. Because you're succumbing to the pressure of the plan and you're about to give up. Or do you rise up to the occasion and say, not my will be done, but your will be done. Your will be done. You rise up through the pain, listen, and you do the vision. You do the plan. You stay on course. That is what Jesus did. That is what the disciples did. And that is what we are to do every single time. The vision that Christ gave you. Listen to me. The vision that Christ gave us, whatever, whatever how you want to put this, we do the plan. We do the vision that God has put us on. That is what obedience is. Do you understand? That is what obedience is. That if God tells you to go do X, Y, and Z, and that's the course, then you have to be obedient to that plan no matter how hard it gets in that plan. Oh, you got to continue to carry it out, to be disciplined in your life. I want you to understand something. Anyone can have faith when the anointing is flowing and the music is playing. Come on, somebody. Whenever the angels are flapping around your bedroom, come on, you know. It's kind of like when you first get married and you're on your honeymoon. Come on, where's Alex and Madison at? Come on, oh, they're over there, right. Unless everything's great and wonderful, you know. You haven't had to come home and pay one bill yet. Come on. Help me, help me in here, all right? Listen, but what good is your faith if it's never tested? And what good is your faith if it can't hold you when you go through trying times? Oh, oh my goodness. 
What good is any of this stuff that we're doing? Why come to church on Sunday for 10 years? Why come to church on Wednesday for 15 years? Why do all this stuff that we're doing if your faith isn't strong enough to hold you in a time of testing? Mm, I feel this thing, y'all. You need faith when there's nothing left to hold on to. Let me show you something in Matthew 27, verse 46. Everybody in this room... When you're doing what God has called you to do, you will feel God forsaken at some point. This is Jesus in the ninth hour. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt forsaken. He is the water walker. He is the leper cleanser. He is the healer. He is the prince of peace. He is the son of God. And this man felt God forsaken. And you don't think... And you think that you won't ever feel God forsaken as you're trying to do the plan of God in your life? You will also at times feel God forsaken. But he still stuck to the plan and he finished what God had asked him to do. See, I want to run right now, Miss Gail. You said you're over. Okay, all right now. How's that knee feeling? Praise the Lord. You see, the plan of the Lord is the protection and the hedge of the Lord. The plan of God is the protection of God. Oh, my goodness. Praise team. Y'all better come in here and start singing because I'm about to have a fit. Listen, do you remember the prophet Baal? The prophet Baal was sent to curse the Israelites, and he couldn't do nothing but bless them. Okay? Why? Why could he do nothing but bless them? Because the Israelites were in the plan of God. It wasn't because they were God's chosen people, because we can read later that King Nebuchadnezzar came and burnt down the temple. Huh? Talk to me in here. King Nebuchadnezzar came in there and slaughtered everybody, killed them. So it wasn't because they were God's people. It's because when Baal tried to get them, they were in the will of God. When Nebuchadnezzar came and got them, they were out of the will of God. You want the protection of God? You better get in the will of God. You want the hedge of God over your family and your life? The will of God. Does that mean hardships are going to come? I just told you you're going to feel God forsaken while in the will of God at times. I'm trying to help you. This is Wednesday night Bible study, okay? So watch. When Christ begins to put wind in your sails... And he begins to show you your plan, whatever your plan is. And you begin the course that God has for you. There will be times that the boat begins to beat upon the waves or the waves begin to beat upon the boat. There are times that you must anchor yourself in order not to be blown off course. But the thing about an anchor is that it does not keep the boat from rocking. It just makes the boat rock steady. My goodness. Yes, the waves still crash into it. There is still thunder, but it just sits there and it rocks steady. And when the storm is over, you're still Right where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And then you reel that anchor up. Let the wind get in your sail and you move on down the course of God. And then another storm hits you. Drop the anchor right here and it begins to get steady. And you got to rock steady because even though you're on the plan of God, doing the will of God, you will still feel God forsaken sometimes. The battle is not ours anyways. It belongs to the Lord. The same plan that gets you attacked will be the same plan that gets you out. 
Y'all didn't come ready for all this, did you? You had a hard day at work. I understand. I understand. Listen, the same plan that gets you attacked will be the same plan that gets you out. The same plan that got Jesus hung on a tree is the same plan that resurrected him three days later. So if as he's on that tree dying, feeling God forsaken, if he said, angels, come and get me right now, he would have missed the resurrection moment. How many times have we bailed on God too soon and didn't let the process play itself on out? Hmm? Think about it. The battle is not what you go through. Listen to me now. But it's how you feel about it. Hmm. Hmm. The battle is not what you go through. It's how you feel about the battle. Listen to me. Listen to me now. Listen to me. You have to function even when you don't feel like it. I don't know, if I, I don't know who I'm preaching to. And I don't know if I'm preaching that camera or I'm talking to myself. Listen, you got to be saved when you don't feel like it. <laughs> I want to pastor a group of people. That when trouble comes knocking on your door, your response is not, oh me, oh my, and fall out and throw in the white towel. No. But I want to preach. I want to teach. I want to pastor in such a way that the folks that call this church home, the folks that call me pastor, that when trouble comes knocking on your door, you have enough word in you. You have enough spirit in you. got enough worship in you. You have been taught what to do. And so whenever it it comes time to activate that faith, you say, go ahead, devil. Take your best shot because I already know that God is going to get the glory out of this situation right here. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I know where my anchor is. It is found in God's word. It is found on my knees. It is found in God's presence. And I will rock steady right here in Jesus' name. I will live through it all. See, that's my kind of church. Survivors, warriors, no quit in them. And that is who we are. So I want to tell somebody in this room. Hey, listen, the same plan that has got you into this will be the same plan that gets you out. Amen to that. Come on, stand all across this room tonight in Jesus' name. We hope you have enjoyed today's message. For more information about the Revival Center, visit us on the web at revivalcenterag.com.